Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, November 25th. I am Aranza Loizaga, and these are today's headlines. A major military shakeup, Navy Secretary Richard Spencer ousted this weekend for his handling of the case involving a Navy SEAL accused of war crimes in Iraq. House Democrats are moving forward with an impeachment report despite not having testimony from key officials. This as new evidence shows the White House's effort to justify their decision to block aid to Ukraine. And ahead of the Thanksgiving break, three winter storms threatened to disrupt plans for millions of Americans during one of the busiest travel days of the year. This and much more today on U News. We begin in Washington today, where the Navy secretary has been forced to resign. He's at odds with President Trump and his Pentagon secretary over the handling of a Navy SEAL war crimes case. Let's go to Janet Rodriguez in Washington with the latest. And the latest that we know in this complicated story is that Secretary of Defense told reporters this morning that the president himself ordered him to not have a disciplinary hearing or any enforcement against a Navy SEAL and to have him keep his trident pin. Now, this has led to the ouster of the Secretary of the Navy, Richard Spencer. The Secretary of Defense this weekend said that he could no longer trust uh, Spencer because he was trying to cut a side deal with the White House to let Officer Gallagher continued to be in the lead unit while in public and at the Pentagon he was pushing for another hearing against Gallagher. Gallagher back in uh, during um, a tour in Iraq in 2017 was accused of war crimes but ultimately he was acquitted of all those charges and was only demoted as a disciplinary measure for having post with a captive's dead body. Now this has become a fight between the White House and the Pentagon. The president basically saying that Gallagher never had a, a good hearing, a fair hearing, and now Spencer saying in a public letter that he could no longer agree with the president's decision in this case. This is not the first time that the president comes into a battle, a public battle with uh, the ranking members over at the Pentagon, but this has led to the ouster of Richard Spencer and the president already saying that he will nominate the ambassador, the current ambassador of Norway to that post as soon as possible. And uh, he th simply thanked Richard for his service there at the Pentagon. While now we continue to hear more developments as to why Mr. Spencer was trying to push publicly for one thing and in private trying to cut a deal with the White House to have this officer continue to be in the Navy SEAL elite unit. Back to you. Daniel Rodriguez from Washington, thank you so much for this information. Democrats are moving forward with the impeachment of the president with the evidence they have not willing to delay the process any longer. Meanwhile, one of Rudy Giuliani's associates facing charges for campaign finance violations is saying he's willing to cooperate with House investigators, alleging he has evidence that can deepen the impeachment inquiry even more. Lorraine Cáceres has the latest. This morning, Democrats pushing ahead with the impeachment. We're not willing uh, to uh, simply allow them to wait us out, to stall this proceeding when the facts are already overwhelming. 
despite not having testimony from key witnesses like former National Security Advisor John Bolton and former White House Counsel Don McGahn. They say time is of the essence and they're not willing to wait out a long court fight. We're going to continue our investigation. Uh, we are going to continue to pursue Even after the documents. Even handed in the report, you're going to yes. continue? Oh, yes. The investigation isn't going to end. The Washington Post is reporting that one early August email exchange between Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and budget officials shows the White House looking for a way to explain the freeze on Ukraine military aid after Trump already paused the funds in mid-July. That conversation coming days after the White House Counsel's Office learns about the whistleblower complaint scrutinizing Trump's July 25th call with Ukraine's leader. Meanwhile, Lev Parnas, one of Rudy Giuliani's recently indicted associates accused of campaign finance violations, has given the House Intelligence Committee audio and video recordings and photos of Giuliani and the president himself. Although it's unclear what the evidence shows, Giuliani says he's not worried at all that the president might turn his back on him. I've seen things written like, he's going to throw me under the bus. Right. When they say that, I say, he isn't, but I have insurance. According to Parnas's lawyer, he was also communicating with Devin Nunes, ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, one of President Donald Trump's key allies in Congress, and a staunch defender of the president during the impeachment inquiry. Parnas says he worked to put Nunes in contact with Ukrainians who could help him dig up dirt on Biden and Democrats in Ukraine. Parnas says he's also willing to tell Congress about a series of regular meetings he says he took part in at the Trump International Hotel in Washington that concerned Ukraine. Democrats are willing to schedule more testimony if other key witnesses become available. Today, courts will decide if former White House counsel Don McGahn must testify about President Trump to Congress, a decision that will influence if people like John Bolton testify as well. Back to you, Aranza. Lorraine, thank you so much for this report. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister of the Republic of Bulgaria is at the White House today. President Donald Trump is welcoming Prime Minister Boyko Borisov to, quote, celebrate the strong and enduring relationship that exists between the two nations. That's according to a White House statement announcing the visit. The U.S. and Bulgaria are NATO allies, and there are plans to talk about ways to strengthen common security interests. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is back home from the hospital and recovering following another medical issue. The 86-year-old was admitted to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore Friday night after experiencing chills and a fever. The high court says she started feeling better after getting fluids and antibiotics. Ginsburg is a four-time cancer survivor and best known for opinions regarding civil rights issues. Two turkeys will actually have reason to be thankful this Thanksgiving. They are being spared from the dinner table. The lucky birds spend part of the weekend at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. Here they are living their best lives. On Tuesday, the National Turkey Federation will introduce them to the world and the voting will start on which one President Donald Trump will pardon. While only one bird will get the official pardon, both birds will be free to spend their retirement at Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. Now to the race for 2020, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg announcing that he is joining the already crowded field to run for the Democratic presidential nomination. Here he is. 
It's official. Billionaire Michael Bloomberg is running for president of the United States. Mike Bloomberg for president. Jobs creator, leader, problem solver. It's going to take all three to build back a country. Over the weekend, the Bloomberg campaign headquarters in New York City coming alive with staff and moving trucks. Did somebody say billionaire? And SNL, including a Bloomberg caricature, interrupting the most recent Democratic... Is there time for me to come in in late and ruin everything? The 77-year-old former Republican says he's a new choice for Democrats. And now he's taking on him. In the lead-up to his announcement, Bloomberg apologized for his stop-and-frisk policy that he defended for years. I want you to know that I realized back then I was wrong. Estimated to be worth $53 billion, he's one of the richest people in the world. And now, using his own money to fund his race for the White House, his campaign says he'll spend whatever it takes. Now rolling out $37 million in TV ads, more than half of the $50 million the entire 2020 Democratic presidential field has spent on TV ads so far this year, which is rubbing some of his opponents the wrong way. We do not believe that billionaires have the right to buy elections. You can't buy passion. If you have to put people against money, I will take people every day of the week. While Bloomberg has the financial resources, his apparent strategy bypassing the early contests has not worked in the modern era, though it is doable if he's able to focus on the states that make up Super Tuesday on March 3rd and succeed, where 40% of the delegates are up for grabs. Aranza Loizaga, U News. Thanksgiving week is here, and with it, one of the busiest travel days of the year. But three storms brewing across the country have the potential to complicate travel plans as millions of Americans plan to hit the roads and the skies for Thanksgiving. From Philadelphia to New York to Boston, heavy rain could dampen plans. While in the Midwest, snow started falling on Friday in Denver. And in Chicago, rainfall is expected to turn to snow on Tuesday. The storm systems will clear out of the Midwest by Wednesday, leaving temperatures 5 to 15 degrees cooler through much of the region. As forecasters track the skies for the Thanksgiving holiday week, police are keeping a close eye on the ground. The NYPD is being beginning to ramp up its forces ahead of Thanksgiving. That included checking out a threat to Times Square posted on social media. Investigators say a man posted a message on Reddit claiming he was coming to New York City with two pounds of explosives. Security is very high across New York City this week ahead of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Days ahead of all the Thanksgiving holiday flights, New York Senator Chuck Schumer is demanding airlines not to be allowed to split up parents and their kids on flights. He said airlines should have sensible policies that make sure parents and kids under the age of 13 sit together. He pointed to a 2016 law meant to fix this problem. It directed the U.S. Secretary of Transportation to consider creating guidelines for the airlines to keep families together on flights. Schumer says it was never followed through. Now to California, where a homelessness crisis is growing amid rising housing costs and widening income inequality. The situation is even worse in Los Angeles. And as Juan Carlos Gonzalez reports, although many residents recognize the problem, finding the right solution is a harder proposition. 
One of the most notorious problems that the county of Los Angeles has is homelessness. It's very sad because there are many people, young and old, living on the street, he says. Genaro has been living on the streets on and off for different reasons. Rent is too expensive. Also, it's hard to find a job, especially when you don't have a work permit, he says. He explains that every time he gets a job and saves some money, he rents a room for him and his wife, but it's not easy. About 59,000 people are estimated to be living on the streets of Los Angeles County. The big question is, how can this problem be solved? A recent poll shows 65% of Angelinos believe police should get more involved to clean up the streets to avoid a health crisis due to unsanitary conditions. Danny, who works installing portable restrooms for the homeless, disagrees. Um, I don't think LAPD is or, or any type of police department is a solution. I think more people with community engagement and fi finding out what the people actually need is, is re what's really needed. Um, like I said, there's just there's too many different problems. If the LAPD comes and like this area was here, was there's a lot more homeless in this area here. They cleared out by Caltrans, they moved, and all they do is they end up underneath the bridge, down a street where there's a dead end street, or they move just into different areas, and then eventually they just end up moving right back. So that's not even the solution. Getting them, kicking them out of this area and this area just spreads them out to other areas. Rudy said that it's a big problem and that it requires a big solution. Well, I think there needs to be a lot done, and a lot of people need to get involved. And I was saying that the mayor, everybody needs to get involved. Every single city councilman, every not only just the government, but all the mental health services that have been lacking for so long. We all know that mental health is a big issue. The Whatever the drug abuse, that's coupled with the mental health. So the mental health issue is a major problem, and somehow there needs to be an effort made to resolve that. People who help the homeless say that most of them don't live here on the streets because they want to. Even though they agree that there are some people who are living in these conditions because of drug or alcohol addictions, they say that many of them just can't afford to have a place to live. Uh, it's going to be really rough to find a solution. There's a lot of different problems. There's a lot of different issues down here. You have people that have the mental uh, health issues. You have people that live paycheck to paycheck on minimum wage that can't afford rent. And then you have people that are on drugs and, and stuck on their abuse, their, you know, their, use, their substance abuse. And they need help to get rid of that, to, to, to get beyond that. And until we find a solution for each and every person's kind of individual problem, we're going to have this problem. There's, I don't think there's no real quick solution for it. It's going to be a, a, a one that takes a lot of time. In Los Angeles, Juan Carlos González, U News. In Colombia, three policemen were killed in a bomb blast late on Friday at a police station in the capital after thousands gathered for renewed protest against the government and sporadic looting in Bogotá. Ten officers were also injured in the explosion in the southwestern province of Cauca, known as a hot spot for drug trafficking and violence. Five individuals have been arrested. In Chile, clashes erupted between security forces and protesters on Sunday during ongoing street demonstrations. Some protesters gathered at the Plaza Italia in the capital of Santiago, which has become a rallying point for the protests. Earlier, President Sebastián Piñera said the number of police on the streets would increase and new powers would be given to the armed forces to protect public infrastructure, among other measures to contain violence after more than a month of social unrest in the country. 
Bolivia's interim president, Janine Añez, signed legislation on Sunday to annul the contested October 20th elections and paved the way for a new vote without former president Evo Morales, a breakthrough in the political crisis. Passage of the bill comes as anti-government demonstrators lifted road blockades to hold talks with Añez aimed at ending weeks of unrest that have left more than 30 dead in clashes with security forces. Public hospitals in Venezuela are still in crisis due to a severe shortage of medical supplies, personnel and basic services such as water and electricity, making it incredibly difficult to serve patients. Gianni Aponte has a story. Public hospitals are in the dark with the remaining doctors doing the impossible to treat their patients with minimal supplies and medicine, even doing surgery with the light from their cell phones. It's a common scene in Venezuela's struggling economic climate, with the public health system in full decay and decreasing operational capacity due to a lack of basic services like drinking water and electricity. There are power cuts in hospitals all over the country, and a hospital without electricity or water cannot function. And that situation threatens the lives of patients. In this hospital in Maracaibo, the frequent blackouts that affect this city leaves it powerless. In the darkness, only lighted by a cell phone light, Jenny Sanchez waits in fear for a doctor to help her three-year-old grandson. We're in despair. We couldn't find a place to go with my sick child. It is very hard. In Caracas, the situation is not much better. Entire rooms at the University Clinical Hospital are empty, only furnished with abandoned hospital beds and corridors without lighting. The same situation exists in this oncological hospital that's unable to properly treat cancer patients. With its broken radiotherapy machines, the same scene in most of the public hospitals that has made death rates spike from this disease. Patients are dying due to a lack of medicine in Venezuela, patients with chronic pathologies. And hospitals are running out of staff, with doctors who leave their post to migrate to other countries, leaving nurses to take over, like in this psychiatric hospital where there are only two patients left. Reported by Francisco Urristieta, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. Officials in the U.S. say they are seeing a surge in cocaine smuggling using, get this, narco subs. These are semi-submersible ships that can evade detection. Univision journalists investigated how traffickers build and operate these narco subs along the Pacific coast of Colombia, Central America and Mexico. So let's go to our colleague David Adams. He's a digital journalist who's been following this story. Thank you for joining us, David. My pleasure. Thank you. So what's behind the surge of these narco subs? Well, there's been a big uh, increase in cocaine or coca paste production, especially in Colombia. And the more the more coca you have, the more cocaine uh, that can be sent to the United States. And narco subs is one of the uh, favorite methods that traffickers are using these days because they can pack you know, amazing amounts, uh, up to five tons inside one of these uh, semi-submersibles. So who is fabricating them, where, and how do they operate? They're being made in the jungles of Colombia. Um, they use the mangroves along the Pacific coast, especially down near the border with uh, Ecuador, uh, around the, the city of Tumaco. In the Everglades there, they can, with the cover of the, the trees, they can actually build them uh, in the water on stilts 
in kind of very, very rudimentary um, boatyards. And, and they, they make them there and then they sell them out uh, up the coast uh, and they can be, depending on the size, they can make them for as little as $100,000. A big one, a sophisticated one, might cost a million dollars, apparently. Wow, that is impressive. Do we have an idea as to how many Narcosovs they have confiscated or are out there? Well, uh, Univision Investiga sent a team uh, with the Coast Guard uh, earlier this month, uh, and they were on board this ship for uh, two weeks. They found uh, two narco subs in that period of time. They calculate that you know anywhere between maybe 30 and 40 um, uh, a year uh, are being caught, and they only catch maybe one or two out of 10. So if you do the math and you figure out how many tons of cocaine are e inside each one of these, um, that's obviously um, a lot of cocaine and, and a lot of uh, narco sub building. So we know that, of course, the drug traffickers use trucks, you know, cargo ships, uh, small planes. But how much has been accounted for when it comes to drug trafficking cocaine into the United States with these vessels, narcosubs? They don't really know exactly uh, how much. Um, they reckon about 80% of the cocaine is coming up um, uh, via the Pacific. Um, and an increasing amount is coming uh, with the narco subs. There have been some huge busts on uh, cargo ships in just recently uh, in New York and, and Pennsylvania. But um, they're seeing, because they're, they're catching more of these narco subs, um, it looks like the, the traffickers are going more uh, to that uh, type of route. And they're very hard to, the thing is, they're very hard to detect because they're not actually submarines. They don't go beneath the water. They travel on the surface of the water. They call them semi-submersible. So they're hard to, to pick up on radar. Um, and and uh, they, they're literally just floating just on the surface. So you can see them if you have an airplane flying overhead. And then um, with obviously sophisticated U.S. Pentagon technology, and they spot them and they send the ships. Fascinating, really fascinating. And well, there's, there's more on, our, on our Univision, on Uninoticias, and you can see the special that Univision Investiga did. Fantastic, so let's make that plug in. Univisionnoticias.com, you can find more about the semi-submersibles, narco subs in Spanish. David Adams, thank you so much for this wonderful investigative work. Oh, my, my pleasure always, Arantxa. Thank you. More of your news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, you news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Let's now go to Annabel Sedano with what's trending, kicking things off with reports on a controversial facial recognition app for Facebook employees. Annabel, take it away. Hi there, that's right. And we begin with this. Facebook is under fire over privacy issues. It acknowledged that it built an internal app that allowed employees to identify their colleagues and friends who enabled facial recognition by pointing their phone cameras at them. Some sources say the app was developed between 2015 and 2016 
but has since been discontinued. One version of the app could identify anyone on the social network, according to some sources. Facebook, however, disputes that it could identify any member in their network. And moving on to this one. Google is raising its reward for uncovering security flaws in some of its Android smartphones from $200,000 to a maximum of $1.5 million. The new top prize is payable to those who spot bugs in the Titan M security chip in Google's Pixel smartphones, as well as meeting specific criteria. Google said it had paid out more than $4 million to security researches since 2015. And finally, a city in Indonesia hopes nature can save kids from internet addiction. The program, called Chickenization, hopes students will spend less time on electronics and more time caring for their pets or plants. Indonesia internet users spend on average 8 hours and 36 minutes per day online. It's 2 hours higher than the global average. So there you have it. I'm Annabelle Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.